Well, praise the Lord, Church of Omaha, and good morning to each of you. Isn't the Lord good? Isn't He great? And isn't He greatly to be praised? Can we just praise Him for a moment? Lift our voices, lift our hands. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. So awesome and holy, oh God. We, we lift you up in this place. We lift you up in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm so glad that you all are here with me this morning for our first word. And thank you to those of you that are joining us online this morning. We're praying for you in Jesus' name. And I'm sure thankful for the Lord's presence, which is not only here with us all today, but he goes with us when we leave. He goes with us when we leave. You know, I can think about times where I may have really felt alone. I've shared, I've shared that with a few of you. You know, a part of my testimony where there was a really dark time where I felt alone, but I was never alone. I can think about times where I didn't feel God, but God was still there surpassing any feelings or lack thereof. And He's here today. He's here for you today. He's there for you tomorrow and the next day. Amen? Amen. This morning, I would like to draw your attention to the book of Genesis, chapter 22. And as you're turning there in your Bibles or scrolling there on your devices, uh, let's go ahead and stand, if you're able to, for the reading of the Word, beginning with verse number 1. Genesis 22.1 says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his men, Abide here, with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. And as you're closing your Bibles, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for your truth that we can hold on to at all times. Lord, I pray for every heart and mind that you would open them to your understanding. Let us be hearers and doers of your word. Help me, Lord, to be a vessel for you and what you desire for your church today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. From this chapter, Genesis 22, I would like to focus your attention and teach on the subject of worship. And yes, I know I, we have what we refer to as our first word, which for those of you that may not know, it's this time from about 10.30 to 11.20, and then our worship service, which begins at 11.30. So some of you may chuckle a little bit. I didn't hear any, so that's good. But um, I'm going to be teaching during our first word on worship. And if you find yourself here this morning and you have a lot of knowledge about worship, then you can help me preach this morning. On the same token, if you find yourself here today not knowing a lot about worship, then you can help me preach too. Amen? Amen. Worship is more than something we do to receive blessings from God. It involves sacrifice, which can often seem costly and also seem like something that doesn't make sense. It requires obedience, demonstrating that worship is not just something that we do while together, but more so, and more importantly, it's a whole life process. It involves our whole life. It involves our everything. It, it's one that touches every action and every thought. Worship proclaims God's attributes and gives ear to His greatness, His goodness, and His steadfast love. From our passage, we read that Abraham demonstrated that worship is an act of trust. Trust that was performed in obedience to God's seemingly unreasonable calling and demands. In leaning upon God's record of faithfulness and blessing, Abraham faced the call and command to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. As we walk by faith in obedience to God, living our whole lives daily as acts of worship and serving God and others, we too will reap the promises given in His Word. And so for the next few moments of your time as we talk about worship this morning, I want to answer the following question first, and that is, what is worship? To begin to answer this question, as I said moments ago, worship is sacrifice. In the ancient world in which Abraham lived, Sacrifice to pagan gods was a regular part of worship. In fact, if you look at where Abraham was raised in Ur of the Chaldees, it was common for there to be worship to pagan gods and mainly pointed toward the moon if you do some research. They, they worshiped the moon. And because of this, it was, it was natural for Abraham to build an altar and offer sacrifices to the true and living God. And while pagans in the ancient world might have offered sacrifices out of duty or obligation or to escape whatever wrath or judgment of their gods, Abraham offered sacrifices out of his sincere desire to please God with the gifts he gave. The sacrifices that we see Abraham offer were symbolic of his need for God and His goodness 
as the very source of life. This is how, or that is how his sacrifice deferred. That's how it deferred from the the pagan sacrifices that were happening around him. He was not sacrificing to try to entertain God. He needed God. He fully relied on God to be God and to do what he said he would do. Now, could Abraham have chosen to go back to pagan worship? Of course. But that is a choice to all, even today. But he didn't. When he built altars, it was more than just some religious act. It was a response of the heart of faith to an amazing revelation of God. It was a sincere act of worship, proclaiming gratitude to the one who called him. It was devotion to the one who was now his God and submission to God's plan for the world. Abraham's consistency in building altars and offering sacrifices at every location is something we can take note of. Deities in the ancient world often consisted of statues or objects found in nature and thus were confined to a particular location. They couldn't move. Because of this, worshipers of these pagan gods had to travel to the location where their gods were housed in order to offer sacrifices. Abraham, who understood, yes, even before the formal commandment was given to have no other gods before me, led him to the decision to build altars as he traveled. It was not a certain place that Abraham had to go. Yes, he was called away from somewhere. But as he was going, he would build these altars. He he didn't have to wait until the next town to, to bring his worship to the Lord. God was to be worshipped wherever Abraham traveled, wherever he went, as he was going. This was a bold proclamation that Jehovah was the one true and living God of all the land, and he was not confined to just one location. And as we apply that to us today, while we don't have to sacrifice a ram or, or the firstborn of any flock or anything along those lines, the question I want to ask is this. What does sacrifice look like to you? What things do you need to sacrifice or lay on the altar, if you will, and give to God? There have been times in service here and other places where people who maybe have had an addiction of some kind would would bring that thing that they had an addiction to and, and leave it at the altar, signifying, I'm giving this up for you, Lord. I can't do this anymore. It's yours. Whether it would be cigarettes or maybe chewing tobacco or, or, you know, a crack pipe or anything like that, they would bring them up here and lay them up here. But it wasn't, it's not just limited to those things. It's, it's anything else as well. Whatever that may be for you. But please allow me to put something to rest here before I go into the next what of what is worship. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel proclaims, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. And some may take this verse right here and say, this means I don't have to sacrifice anything. But in reality, 
It means that when you sacrifice, it's important to not flaunt it like, hey, God, look what I did. You owe me something now. Especially in Saul's case, which is the context here, because he was supposed to get rid of it all, to not leave any of it beforehand so that there was no need for sacrifice. Saul was giving the sacrifice but was in error before that time. And in case this kind of rocks your world a little bit, but, but if you only sacrifice to get from God, then maybe we can have a further discussion later. When we bring in the element of obedience as another facet of worship, one can understand that obedience is the response of someone who trusts God. When we read of God commanding Abraham to sacrificially offer his son Isaac, I can imagine it would have come as a shock to him. Maybe just a little bit. Maybe I'm wrong. But, but God promised Abraham a son in his old age, and, and he followed through with that promise. Then God's sudden request for Abraham to offer the son he loved as a burnt offering must have sent a wave of panic through him. When I read these things and put myself in Abraham's shoes, it does give me a tinge of discomfort as well. A tinge of, really? How would I react if God told me to go and sacrifice my son? It's a wave of emotions that hits me every time I read this. Like, what would I do? Especially if it was one that God had promised Surely Abraham went back to God's promises to, to him in what we read as Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, which says, And Abraham was 99, or 90 years old and nine, and the Lord appeared to Abram and, and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. Surely he went back to those words. And after Abram fell on his face, God continued in verse 4, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceedingly, exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. So consider for a moment what might have transpired between what we read as verse 2 of Genesis 22, where God told Abraham to take his son and offer him up, and verse 3, where Abraham rose up early in the morning. The text indicates that, that he must have endured somewhat of a long night beforehand as he considered this command that he had just received. How would he break the news to Sarah? What would he tell his friends and neighbors who knew of the miraculous gift Isaac was to these aging parents? How could he offer the gift that had filled his life with so much joy and hope? Many questions may have swirled through Abraham's mind, yet the text indicates in verse 3, which I'll read, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took, upon, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave to the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place which God had told him. This remarkable level of trust 
in God was something that Abraham had built based on God's revelation of himself. That obedience would flow out of this revelation. It was natural. The obedience that, that would flow was natural and demonstrated in, was demonstrated in Abraham's consistent acts of worship and sacrifice. Nothing less than total surrender and submission to God was required in Abraham's unprecedented, unprecedented act of obedience. It symbolized God's ownership of all things in Abraham's life, including Isaac. As we read this story today, we have the privilege of knowing the ending. We can read the ending, which tells us God would provide a substitute, a ram, in honor of Abraham's obedience. But apart from his choice to trust in God's faithfulness, Abraham had no way of really knowing the outcome. The writer of Hebrews captures this tension in Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 17, which reads, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And as I touched on just moments ago, what confusion Abraham must have felt as he obeyed God's command to give back that which God had promised. But Abraham's faith trusted that God would fulfill his promises even in the face of Isaac's death. When Abraham did not have, while Abraham didn't ever have to offer or sacrifice Isaac, his obedience and willingness to do so, his offering of his own desires and wishes became the sacrifice. Because he obeyed, the ram was provided as a substitute, which was an expression of God's obedience and submission to God's command. Amen. With the sacrifice surrounded by obedience came the action or, or the activity. Abraham's willingness demonstrates a whole life concept of worship one that encompasses all of one's being. While Abraham's obedience grew out of his faith and willingness of heart, his actions demonstrated a life wholly devoted to worship, to the worship of God. When we read of worship in the Old Testament, most frequently it means to prostrate oneself before a superior, or to lay before a superior. Most translation you read will use the term worship, but the Old Testament writers understood the idea of physically prostrating oneself before God. In Genesis 22.5, when, when Abraham told his servants, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you, the word worship was to signify his prostration before the Lord. Now, this, again, this was nothing new to Abraham to lay prostrate before or to bow down to God because before he heeded the call of God to leave everything, the same practice was used to these, in these, these pagan deities that, that Abraham had once worshipped. When we read throughout the Old Testament of building altars and other practices of various groups, we must understand that these are all encompassing of service or to serve. This is connected to when a person works to advance the agenda of a superior. And in Abraham's case, it was, he was working to advance God's plan 
for his life. Following through with God's plan for his life. Doing these things. His obedience was reflected in his worshipful actions of building an altar, stacking it with wood, binding Isaac, and laying him on the altar. Finally, raising the knife to slay his son in obedience to Jehovah. But God, God saw that Abraham fully intended to do what he had commanded him to do, and he intervened. The angel called out to Abraham and told him not to kill his son. Lay not thine hand upon the lad, he said. Neither do anything for him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you haven't withheld your son, your only son, from me. God provided the sacrifice. You see, church, when, when we bring that full circle to today, and where each of us are at today, it's important that we obey. Somebody say obey. And when we obey, that will be displayed by our outward expressions, what we do in our activity, in our sacrifices, what we sacrifice for Him in our worship. Not to bring any attention to ourselves, but to show our very trust in God. To trust in Him that He will provide. Some of you here today, and perhaps all of you, for I don't know every one of your stories, can testify of just how God provided and just the right time when you were in need. He's always on time, always on time. He has shown himself faithful time and time again. He's ever faithful. That means always. That's, that's all the time. He's always faithful. I'm reminded of, of a worship psalm when I think about every time that, that he's provided and what he's shown me and what he's brought me through. It, we sometimes sing this song and it goes, I've lived stories that have proved your faithfulness. I've seen miracles my mind can't comprehend. There is beauty in what I can't understand. Jesus, it's you. Jesus, it's you. I believe you're the wonder-working God. You're the wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen, you're too good to not believe. You're the wonder-working God. And you heal because you love. All the miracles I've seen, you're too good to not believe. So I wonder if we can just thank Him for a moment for what He's done, for, for how He's shown Himself faithful. He's ever faithful. We thank You, Lord Jesus. Oh, oh thank You, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I worship You, Lord. I thank You, Lord, for Your goodness, Your faithfulness to me, oh God. Hallelujah. 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 I would like to turn our attention now to the why and the question or statement of why we worship. So why do we worship? We worship because of who He is. Who He is. Abraham demonstrated that worship was a response to God who commanded him to separate himself and move into the land He had promised. As he went at every stop, he was careful to build an altar and worship God through sacrifice and obedience. He followed God wherever he commanded. And while he didn't always fully know or maybe understand 
God's promise. For one time or another, he kind of took things into his own hands. We've read of that. We know that. In the end, his faith continued to grow. And he chose to believe God's promises of provision and blessing. He chose to believe, to trust, to put his faith in God. It was not just some God. It was not just a God. No, it was the one true God. It was the God which Moses proclaimed to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6, 4, saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The same God that we read of at the very beginning of the word in Genesis 1, 1, which says, In the beginning, God. But understand, before God did anything, Sister Alicia, before God did anything, before He was characterized by this or that, before He was known as the provider, the way maker, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, before any of these things, He was God. He is God. He always will be God. There is no one like Him. There is no one beside Him. He is God and God alone. Brother Keith, He is God and I am not. He is God and He changes not. Brother Josh. He is God to those who believe and God to those that don't. He is God and God alone. He is God over all. If we are to truly worship God for who He is, we must declare that He is God alone. This is the very foundation on which everything else is laid. It is at this moment and only then that we can begin to believe Him to be this or to be that. With the, without that foundation of who He is, the one true God, then He cannot be anything else. He cannot be this or that. He cannot be anything. While, while I could trail down this for a while, I, I'll maybe talk about that another time, but because Abraham believed this, and he took action and did the things that God commanded him to do, God revealed himself to Abraham in covenant relationship. God was a God of covenant relationship, keeping seemingly impossible promises to God. He's the God of the impossible. <laughs> Abraham came to know him as the God of the impossible, as the covenant-keeping God, uh, something he could not find in any other pagan deity or, or anything else. He came to know him as the provider, as the sustainer, as the deliverer, and as the friend. Even without the treasure of what we now have of this word that we can read, Abraham came to know in real time as he was going and what we read in Deuteronomy 7, 9, the words of Moses, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. <laughs> Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 31, verse 35, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea... Uh, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. 
The, the Lord of hosts is His name. If those ordinances depart before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. God's covenant devotion would cease, would, would cease to exist only if the moon and the stars disappeared. The one who made these ultimate promises is whom we serve today. In addition to his faithfulness, God is King of kings and Lord of lords, sovereign over all the earth. His supreme authority, control, and power over all is demonstrated over and over in his word. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6, Jehoshaphat proclaims and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? And then in a hymn of praise, Psalm 103, David testified of God's greatness and authority, beginning with verse 15. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it and is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him and His righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep His covenant, and to those that remember His commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom ruleth over all. And in addition to His faithfulness and sovereignty, perhaps the most beautiful attribute of all is God's unfailing love to us. And as we read of the history of Israel, Scripture bears witness to God's unfailing mercy rooted in His great love for His people. Despite the many times they broke His covenant. As we bring our brokenness and failures of our lives before God today, we can look back at these writings, these stories, and know this same God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The faithfulness, sovereignty, and unfailing love with which He cares for His people so long ago is the same today. This is who He is and will always be. Hallelujah. And when we see and understand just who He is, we then can see Him and worship Him for what He does. Now, as I kind of mentioned moments ago on the forefront of this, our worship should not be predicated for, on what He does or does not do. And I understand that can be kind of a tough idea to grasp. Well, if He doesn't do this, why, why would I worship Him? Hold on. It's difficult to understand that we worship God when something hasn't happened yet. There it is. Yet. Faith. We worship Him even though it hasn't happened yet. I worship Him even though my healing hasn't come yet. I worship Him even though this, this bill over here, it's a big one. You know, the Lord hasn't taken care of it yet. I worship Him because 
my family situation over here, God hasn't taken care of it yet. My concern with worshiping Jesus for what he does is that we can have a tendency to compartmentalize him. I was going to bring some boxes up here and get a piece of paper that said Jesus and put it in one box and then another and then another and then another. We can tend to put him in a box or that box and put him away until he's needed again. We'll just set him over here for now. But to bring that into perspective, I just read Deuteronomy 6, 4 moments ago, but look at verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with some, thank you, all, and with a little bit of thy soul, thank you, with all, and with all thy might. All here indicates the whole thing, leaving nothing, withholding nothing. All here indicates that it's, it's not predetermined by this happening or that happening. With keeping this in mind that our, that our worship to Him is to be at all times and describing what I did, it is then that we can understand and worship Him for what He does. As we can read throughout Scripture, time and time again, God delivered Israel from their oppressors. We see Daniel in the lion's den. He chose to pray. And he was thrown into the lion's den. But God delivered. Look at Joseph who went through a real whirlwind of a time. But he was delivered and set in a very high place at the end. Look at David who, while being pursued by Saul, found refuge and was delivered. And when the disciples were sent out to go and reach the world with the gospel, there are stories that we read in Scripture of them being delivered from the jail cell and delivered from the hands of the captors and more. We also read of great provisions like food and shelter and more. And if we look back to Psalm 103, beginning with verse 1, David wrote concerning God's faithful actions. Psalm 103.1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth the mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. God who does not change is still the God who heals. He's still the God who redeems. Still the God who shows mercy and love, and He's still the God who renews. He also, being just, pledged Himself on behalf of the needy and afflicted. As we read in Psalm 140, the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. Of the poor. That's, that's verse 12 if you're taking notes. In Isaiah chapter 1, God chastises Israel for simply going through the motions of sacrifice and service in His temple. God commanded them to wash themselves and make themselves clean through repentance and to put away their evil doings. And finally, as we read at the end of Isaiah 1.16, God tells them to cease to do evil. But then in verse 17, as you'll see on the screen behind me, God then commands them to learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And as we read, he is near to the needy, to the oppressed, and to the lowly. 
And looking back again where Abraham came from, where he grew up, this was perhaps one of the most striking differences in comparison to the pagan gods of that day. In fact, if you look at some history, these false gods were only promised to the upper class of those who were wealthy enough to bring generous offerings in order to appease the gods and be worthy of a blessing. When we read of Elijah who, who went up to Mount Carmel, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Along, along with the prophets of Baal, it was a sort of proving ground for the one true God. At least they thought. At least for those who didn't believe in him. Elijah requested that they build this altar and call upon their God. So they did. Uh, but what strikes me in this effort in error is the error that they went to to get their God's attention. They were shouting, and, and in sort of a sarcastic fashion, Elijah said, Shout louder! Maybe he's sleeping or something. Maybe he's deep in thought. So they did shout louder. But still nothing. They even took it as far as to lash themselves with their swords until their blood flowed. But in the end, there was no response. But I want to tell somebody here today that maybe you found yourself putting something else before God. Maybe you've called on something else before God. Maybe you've called on this or that before you called on the name of the Lord. And because in doing so, you have to be careful. Because in doing so, you're, you're indirectly choosing that thing that you called on to be a God over Him. But if you found yourself there doing this, I, I, in, and I, you, know, you may know this already, but there will be no response. You will not respond. But when you call on God, what does He do? <laughs> he hears every prayer. He is attentive to your need. He responds. Do you believe that there's no one like him? Come on, tell me. Do you believe that there's no one like him? I can tell you and boldly declare to you that indeed there is no one like him. I feel like John when he penned concerning the things that Jesus did, when he penned in John 21, 25, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Whew. I know my testimony. I know where the Lord has brought me from. I've lived through it. I've lived thankful that the Lord kept me through it all. He kept me in the midst of some of the most wretched moments. He kept me. He kept me. And if I can just share another song, I'm not going to sing this one, but, but I listened to it and it really just spoke to me. The song is called, It Is My Desire, and the lyrics say, It's my desire to live for Jesus. It's my desire to live for Him. Though often failed Him and caused Him shame. It's my desire to live for Him. And then it continues, if you could see where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, and you know the reason why I love Him so, well, you can take, take this world, 
It's wealth and riches. I don't need earth's fame. It's my desire to live for Him. It's why I choose to live for Him with my whole person. It's why I choose to live for Him with my everything, my whole person, a complete life orientation, everything fixed on Him. It's why I choose to heed the words of Moses and later repeated by Luke and love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, with all of my mind and my neighbor as Myself, And as Paul writes in Romans 12, 1, almost picking up this command, saying, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable ser service. It's what he's called us to do. To live holy and completely a life of worship. Our emotions, our very lives, our physical bodies in service to God and others, our intellect as we study and grow in order to better serve. A dead sacrifice has no profit. We that are alive must be that living sacrifice unto God. And included in that, included in that is our substance. We are to honor the Lord with our substance and the first fruits of our increase, as the proverb reads. The Lord's blessing on His people is found throughout Scripture, along with the command to give back a portion of them to the Lord. In fact, while yes, we are giving it back to Him, in reality, it's already His. God warned and reprimanded the people in Malachi 3 for essentially robbing God by not bringing their tithes and offerings into the storehouse. Giving of our substance is more than just a gesture of gratitude. It is a declaration to others of our total dependence on God. What has potentially been possibly misunderstood concerning giving of our tithes and offerings is that we will we'll, we'll become wealthy if we give. We're not going to have anything that we want. We're not going to want anything. We're going to want nothing. God corrected this misconception in Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. He says, And I will re re rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. While we have to work for our possessions... God has promised provision and blessing in these labors as well as favor with our superiors and those who surround us. And the last thing I want to bring out today is another how we worship, is we worship by ourselves, but also in community. We are called to worship Him individually and corporately. We can read individual or personal worship throughout the Psalms as prayers sung to God. They were given in the temple and used repeatedly as worshipers came to bring their offerings to the Lord. Songs of praise, confession, lament, or thanksgiving all demonstrated the need to honor God in all of life, regardless of circumstances. 
These times of individual worship are an overflow of the times of corporate worship or, or when we all worship here as the body of Christ. And in fact, the opposite can be true. Worship in the house overflows to outside of the house. But also, worship outside of the house overflows to the inside of the house. How you worship at the house of the Lord corporately should reflect in how you worship at home personally. How you worship at home personally should reflect in how you worship in the house of the Lord corporately. As we come together to worship, there is a sense of unity among parts of the body, among the building being joined together, rising to become a holy temple in the Lord. We come together in worship and service to God and each other. And as we come together in worship, we are reminded of our mission to be salt and light to the world, together as the body of Christ. We are accountable to one another, submitting ourselves to one another, supporting our brothers and sisters in Christ. Worship. Let worship extend over the entirety of your life, weaving into every moment, every breath, and every step of your walk with God. We are called to live in obedience, live and give sacrificially, and center our lives around who He is and what He has done and will do. When you think about giving your all, allow me to put it into your remembrance like this. If God calls us to give all, what reason could I have to withhold? If I am to obey, I need to completely obey all, not just what I want to obey. It's easier to live life in complete obedience than to pick and choose what I want to obey. Offering ourselves as living sacrifices might place us in situations that seem difficult as we obediently follow God's calling on our lives. But remember His promises. Remember His promises. Remember that He is the keeper of those promises. He cannot go against His Word. And guess what? His Word says He's the promise keeper. His Word proves that He's the promise keeper. So worship with all of your being. Worship with all of you. And I felt the Lord just led me, lead me moments ago to tell you this. Included in your worship is rest. Is rest. What I mean by that is you have busy days. You have busy lives. You have stresses that come. You have things that just overwhelm you. But when you get into the presence of the Lord, when you get into the presence of the Lord, whether you're sitting or standing or maybe laying on your bed or something along those lines, I don't know what you're doing, where you're at. Maybe it's the end of the day. Maybe it's the beginning of your day. Find that time of rest in His presence. Rest is worship to the Lord. Why? Because you're giving that time to Him. You're not worrying about this or that. You're literally laying those before Him and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm giving these to You and I don't want to pick them up again. 
Give me your rest. Give me your rest, Lord. Provide that to me. I need it, Lord. I'm here waiting for you. And what I've said just moments ago is that he will respond. You will feel that rest. You will feel that peace that passes understanding come over you. You will feel that burden be lifted because here's why. His burden is easy and his yoke is light. It's easy and it's light. So, so it's, not, it's not the heaviness of the world. The heaviness of the world may get you down, but when you put on his yoke, it's light, and you can carry that with you. And there he goes with you throughout the day, providing that rest that you need, providing that hope that you need, that, that peace that you need, that comfort that you need. He never lets you go. Stand with me all over this place. We're going to end in worship, and I know, I know we're going into our worship service here, but if you want to stick around here for a moment and worship him for the next 10 minutes, oh, what that would mean. Hallelujah. Let's worship him together in Jesus' name. God, you are awesome and holy. You're righteous and mighty. Oh, God, you are God alone, and I worship you. Oh, you're my king and my God. You're my healer, my protector. You're my provider, oh God. I lift you up, oh God, over everything. I thank you for your rest. I thank you for your peace, your joy, your love that you show me, oh God. Hallelujah. You are with me at all times, oh God. I declare you over every circumstance. I declare you over everything, oh God. You are my God. In the name of Jesus, we worship you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, you are great and greatly to be praised. Yes, Jesus. We honor you, oh God. We exhort you, oh Lord. We extol you, oh God. Yes, oh Lord, oh my yeah. Come on, any need that you have, give it to them right now. Ah, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Worship. Worship, worship. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you for heeding to the word. Be back here in 10 minutes for our worship service. God bless you all in Jesus' name.